you ever been out somewhere like outdoors and you know there's a big game playing and you can't get it because you're at some stupid wedding in the mountains and your phone has no <laughs> Wi-Fi signal? Yeah, that was your brother at our wedding. What? <laughs> well, it was Notre Dame USC. I totally understand it. Whatever. He, he was crazy. If he had only had the Dish Tailgater Pro, we'd be still speaking to each other. <laughs> the Dish Tailgater Pro Portalite Satellite Antenna lets you watch live news, live sports, live entertainment, all in HD anywhere in the continental United States. So whether you fish, hunt, RV, tailgate, or go to weddings, it's the TV plan that's as flexible as your travel plans. You can visit dishoutdoors.com for more and stay tuned for a very special offer coming up later in the show. Ladies and gentlemen, the baddest band on any stand, Big Bad Voodoo Carlo, and next to me, the lovely and talented traveling diva, Yenny Alvarez. Hi there. Welcome to A Fork on the Road. Welcome to our new season. This is season number five, and we have some great people lined up for you this year. We've been all over the country eating, drinking, listening to music, and having a really great time. So we're glad that you're joining us today. The good folks from Cancun Cards are sponsoring a uh, really great thing for my book, A Fork on the Road, 400 Cities, One Stomach. When you go to markdecarlo.com and order a book, you get a free four-night stay at a resort in Cancun. Now, the airfare is not included. It's but, not. But, it's but a, who, who doesn't want to go to Cancun? I'll pay the airfare to go to Cancun. Right, and we've been to this uh, resort. It's the Ocean Spa Resort. It's right on the Caribbean. Oh, and you have to try that coffee, that Mexican coffee with cinnamon and, uh, is it rum? No, tequila. Yes, it's a great way to wake up in the morning. Oh, that was great. All you have to do is go to markdecarlo.com and click on the book tab. You order a book. I will sign it for you. Included with the book, you'll also get a certificate for five days and four nights in Cancun. It's It's a bathroom book. It was designed as a bathroom book. Actually, I should have printed it on toilet paper. Uh, So we're happy to have those guys on board. And also, we have another new sponsor, the World Nomads podcast. I don't know if you've heard it, but it's a really great show. And whether you're craving some authentic pad thai in Bangkok, or you want to check out the food scene in London, or are adventurous enough to try Balut from a Manila huh. street food stall. Food is a great motivator in travel. That's what our whole show is all about, right? Yes, it is. Uh, which is why this episode of Fork on the Road is sponsored by World Nomads, the global travel, lifestyle, and insurance brand for independent adventure travelers. And what is Balut? It's a 14-day-old duck egg that is steamed and eaten directly from the shell. It's, oh! Yeah, it's a duck embryo. I know how much you love eggs. Uh, now with I, a duck inside of it? I oh! I don't even like chicken eggs. But you know what? When in Rome, you eat the Romans. Learn more <laughs> about the amazing foods like Balut by tuning into the World Nomads podcast. You can hear about great destinations and the amazing nomads who continue to explore those places, bringing us their personal stories of the people they meet and the places they've seen, and most importantly, the, the foods food. they've tasted. Yes, that's very important. The World Nomads podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, or go to worldnomads.com podcasts. So we want to welcome them to A Fork on the Road for the season. Nomads! Welcome, World Nomads. Thanks for joining us. Our first show this season is a great one because we have musical legends. These guys have been touring the country for 25 years. I'm talking about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. How would you describe their music to people that haven't heard? They are just fun and sassy and you want to get out there and dance. Yeah, you can't sit and listen to uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy without wanting a boogie. I met them back in the day when I was hosting a variety show on Fox called uh, The Big Deal and they were the house band and Scotty and Glenn and Andy and all the rest of the guys they've played with the Philharmonic. They played a week at the Hollywood Bowl and most importantly after this is their 25th anniversary they're still traveling the world and they're still friends yeah and it's still fun to watch what we're going to talk to them about well why don't we just let them hear it well they've been traveling for 25 years who knows more about food and travel than working musicians working comedians people like that so that's this entire season we're going to be going one-on-one 
one guest per show, drilling down and, and finding out what it's like to live on the road and what their favorite places to go are, what their favorite places to eat are. And for somebody who's been around in every city multiple times, you know you're going to get the best tips. Yeah, they're all travel experts. We've got Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, uh, Marsha Ball, uh, Delbert McClinton, uh, Tom Kenny. A lot of people coming up this season, and uh, we're so thrilled that you're joining us again. So now it's time to take a listen to my conversation with the Big Bad Bad Voodoo Daddy. When you feel your bones are shaking, feel your bones are shaking, and your temperature is rising, temperature is rising, the crew begins to move you, the crew begins to move you, it's king of swing, king of swing. We have three of the members of... Uh, one of my favorite bands in the universe, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. They're celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. That's correct, but that is not why we are on this podcast. Why are you on this podcast, Scotty Morris? Because we love you, Mark. It's <laughs> our 35-year anniversary of Mark DiCarlo being our friend. That's Glenn Marhefka. They call him the kid. He plays the trumpet. And there's Andy Raleigh, who plays the berry sax. Hello. Scotty, you sing and play guitar. You can, it's marginal and banjo. Right. That's actually kind of new, right? Yeah, about four or five years now. What's your newest album called? Louie, Louie, Louie. And it's about what? It's about the guys that blueprinted what we do. So it's Louis Armstrong, Louis Jordan, and Louis Prima. Now, I know Louis Armstrong and Louis Prima came out of New Orleans. Where's Louis Jordan from? Mississippi. So it's all the South. Yeah. People think of big band music as... Uh, kind of like a New York-y kind of thing or a jazzy kind of thing, but it really, like all American music, really, it comes out of the Delta, right? Yeah, it did. It, uh, New Orleans, uh, St. Louis, Kansas City, is re- it really blossomed and was amazing in the early time, but there was no dough. The dough would run out, so they were smart. They'd go to the big cities, and that's where the dough was, New York, Chicago. Upriver. Yeah. They traveled upriver to Chicago. Yeah. That's where it cruised up there. And and Muddy Waters plugged it in and changed the world. Yes, he did. Right? Yes. Now, you guys got together. When was your first... All three of you are original members of the band, right? There's nine guys in the band now? There's seven core members that have all been in the band at least 22 years you know, as the core guys. And then we have two extra guys that are touring guys, but they mostly have been with us forever as well. You came out of Ventura, California, right? Yes. And what year was that? Well, this incarnation, I'd say 93. What's popular on the radio at that point? Grunge? Uh, Nirvana was the number one band in the world. Right. So you can tell that when I started this band, I was strictly going for the big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Very smart move. Yeah. What possessed you to think that you could have a commercially viable big band in 1993 when the whole world was zigging? You decided to zag. Why? Um, My disdain for the music business at the time, to be honest with you. I didn't want to fit in the mold. I did one tour with one established artist and I was treated like a piece of meat and I hated it. I went to music school. I graduated. I immediately got a great gig. I was doing radio jingles. I was kind of in the little tiny machine starting up and, and it was terrible. I hated it. So I thought, I'm just going to quit. So I moved to, back to Ventura where I grew up and me and my brother opened a surf shop and I just started writing tunes that um, I love. I love I love jazz and old school music, New Orleans music. So I kind of wanted to do something with that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then that's pretty much how it started. Just not wanting to be, I didn't want to be in the old anymore. Which one of these guys did you meet first? Andy. Yeah. Tell okay. me that story, Andy. I had been living uh, in San Diego and uh, I just moved back to Ventura, and um, I think I was the only... Scott was starting this project, and I think I was the only guy that he knew that had a horn. Because <laughs> I was producing another project like three or four years earlier, and this guy goes, I know this dude named Andy. He's really cool, and he plays the saxophone. I go, let's get him. So we Does he have a saxophone? <laughs> He's in the band. That's exactly really kind of where it was at. He was actually in the Yellow Pages back then under sax. <laughs> reason <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy is that um when i was moving one time um i played on a friend's record and then i was looking on the credits of it one day and then unbeknownst to me we worked on the same record together i was living south he was here and we worked on the same record not knowing that we were on the same record and tell like what record oh, mark lane mark lane yeah uh male nymph it's the name of the record yeah 
You can get it on purple vinyl on Rough Trade. It's very rare. <laughs> so uh, describe your first meeting. Was it like a Bruce and Clarence meeting? What was the vibe? It was connected immediately because he surfed, and he's a, a really metal beach guy, and I also surfed and was a semi-metal beach guy. And we just connected right away because Andy's a good talker, and he comes from a big family, and, and, and he just we just connected. And I was a fan of Louis Jordan. Right off the bat, and we started connecting on that too. That's yeah. how early that goes back to that new record. Wow! I want to say that I think I hooked him with. He goes, "Well, what kind of music do you want to do?" And I go, "Well, you know the song from the Jungle Book, I want to be like you." And he's like, "Yeah." I go, "I want to do that song." And he's like, "Oh, that's cool. Yeah, let's do it." Yeah, I have that record. Yeah. That is still one of the highlights of your live show. I you love think that. so? Oh, yeah. yes, absolutely. Did you actually meet the kid the day he was born in like a NICU unit somewhere? I delivered him. <laughs> and he's actually my dad. Yes, I am. It's a little known fact. You know what's funny about it is our trombonist at the time, Jeff Harris, just says, I know this guy named Glenn Marhefka. He lives in L.A. And he just he had just gotten back off of a cruise ship, I think it was. And so he called him. Glenn came down to the Derby to see us play. And I swear to God, I had not met Glenn before. But Glenn was standing in the front row and the Derby was packed and we were playing. And I remember seeing him and I remember thinking to myself, if that's the dude, for some reason I thought, I'm going to hire him no matter what. Like that's what I was thinking. Was he standing in a special? I don't know what it was. I don't know what it's it's really hard to say. And that's just that's a really honest story, though. I didn't know what it was. It was something about him. I don't know what it was. Oh yeah, it was that. It It doesn't translate in podcast formula, but no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But But Google him. Look him up on the website. He's yeah. Then you'll know. He's darling. I I think we all can agree. I don't. I don't know what it was, but but and then he came backstage and we met and and then his personality is what it is. And yeah, so I figured (laughs) he he won't. He won't. He He needs my help. He won't get in my way. (laughs) I can help him. Yeah. Do you remember that night, Glenn? I do remember that night. Yeah, it was great. Um, Were they already a thing? They've been playing, yeah, they were playing in Ventura and Santa Barbara, and they just played, it was maybe the second time they played down in L.A. at the Derby. Mm-hmm. And so it was just really getting going. And it was just, it was, I showed up, you know, I'd been playing trumpet, and I've been playing in jazz bands since I was in seventh grade, big bands and stuff. So it's music is kind of right up my alley to begin with, which is what I love to do. But um, I went down to check out the band, and I was just... I loved it, man. I was like, this is, this is amazing. This is, it's so cool. It was raw and it had this energy and it was this thing. And I met them that night and it, we hit it off. It was great. And then I think the next day or a day or two later, I went up to, to Scotty's house up in Ventura just to hang and kind of talk. It was, it was like the next day, I want to say. Right? I think it was, yeah. And then, uh, so I went up and I, I, I went to Scott's old house and, and we just, talking we hit it off you I mean, played for me though you, yeah i had to you play my it. horn out you brought your horn and, and played. We started playing some jazz like we immediately discovered we both love clifford brown and miles davis and chet baker and all this you know great stuff so we're playing stuff and he's singing clifford brown solos i'm like this dude knows knows this stuff you know it's, it was cool and then uh i remember calling my dad i always give my dad updates at that point i was what 23 and i said i, I don't know what it is but there's something about this group this is going to do something and i just told him that like on the drive home from from scott's house i, I called him up and i told him that i, I just had this feeling that some, there's something about this thing that i dug and and, and sure enough here we are 25, 20, years, 25 later. years later you mentioned the derby a minute ago everyone i'm sure has seen the movie swingers and you guys are the band at the derby i think that uh they captured really well the crazy shit that used to happen every Wednesday night there. I would go all the time. Yeah. Even before we we were doing that TV show together and then after, there were lines around the block, people doing aerials and dancing. Is that really where you guys kind of That's got it. launched? That was the launching point for sure. Um, I mean, we literally went from... So Wednesday, we would play the Derby, and then Thursday, we would play Santa Barbara. Uh, Friday, we would play San Jose. Saturday, we play San Francisco. Sunday, we play Sacramento, and then we drive back. You know, we just we constantly did that. We'd go up, we'd go down, we'd go sideways. We were out all the time. We were playing constantly, and I would just take new songs at the Derby and I would test drive them every Wednesday. I would just bring new songs in, and we would just do. We had three sets 
to, to work on material. And what percentage was, of your show at the Derby was originals and what was? Um, there were a lot more covers. 90%, then, right? No, we were 90% originals at that time. From the get go? Yeah, yeah. And then we would only put covers at the end. Like the last set, if you want to call it that, of the Derby, was just a throwaway set. I mean, we were all so drunk by that point. <laughs> As were the people in the audience. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> get shorter and shorter. Yeah, they would get shorter and shorter. Yeah, I would get drunker and drunker. <laughs> 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 yeah, so it was, it was, yeah, that was, and I was test driving now at that record. Like that first, the first set and a half was the record, was the first Americana Deluxe record. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Because we had two records before we even played the Derby. Our first record that has the shoes on it, and then we had had the uh, Christmas EP, which had Go Daddy O, Jungle Book, and You Mean the Bottle Makes Three on that. Mm-hmm. And then that's the record that Favreau heard and was like, oh, I like that. So, so you didn't know him before? He discovered you just as a band? You we, were friends we, before him? I met John for the first time at the Twin Palms in Pasadena. He had come out and to see us, to scout us out. And then he started coming to the Derby. And then he started um, hanging out, and then he became friends. And basically, my girlfriend taught him how to dance. I mean, taught him. She danced with him all night long, and, and she's an amazing dancer. So they would dance, and he got real good at it. And then had he already written swingers? Yeah. Or, yeah. So he was looking for a band was, to kind of scouting that scene. Yeah, he was. He was seeing through it, yeah. Well, and he nailed it too. You he guys did. were on the top of the wave, cresting. It was a fun, fun night. Every week, Thursday wasn't so fun. I never oh, saw Thursday morning. <laughs> I had to go to work. I had to work in Santa Barbara by like nine o'clock. You had a day job then. Yeah. What was your day job? I uh, ran a, a production for a newspaper, a weekly paper in Santa Barbara. Oh. So I finished. Get we leave the Derby what three? No, I get home about three a.m. Yeah. I think one of the greatest <laughs> things about your band is you've been together twenty five years and you're all actual friends. Yeah. You know, I toured with an improv group and that was just six of us. And there was always something going on with the people or the girls in the group or whatever. They're little, always little, um, not fights, but you know, it's like a family. You seem to still actually dig each other. Could you make good music if you hated each other by now? No, no, you couldn't do anything good if you hate each other by now. There's two factors to it in my, the way I can think it down. And, And one of it is that it's like a family. And in a family, you have highs and lows in your family. And when you suffer the highs and lows with your family together, it brings you together because nobody prepares you to play the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Nobody prepares you to do a role in swingers or whatever or do the things that we've done. No one prepares you for that. So you have nothing in common with anybody when it comes to that. Only the few individuals that you experience it with. And what's unbelievable is I could sit and talk to these two guys right now and, and, and explain my experience on swingers or something else, some other phenomenal moment in our career. And they would have a completely different story back at me. It's so interesting. And it's so, it's so crazy that way that, that I think that's kind of what kind of brought us together. And the other fact is that all of us, but Josh are little brothers. Really? We're all younger brothers. Yeah. So for some reason, we're used to taking shit from people. (laughs) (laughs) As an older brother, I totally understand that. (laughs) So it's, it's, I think I equate it to that as well. Your greatest, I can't believe I did it gig with this band. Pick one that you're like pinching yourself. My cheesy response to that one all the time is that the fact that we're here 25 years still doing it like that's that's the pinch me moment every time like it sounds really dumb I guess but yeah it does but there but I mean you could say <laughs> the Super Bowl halftime show or we played the SB Awards we've been on the Tonight Show we've been on all the different things you can be on I, I don't really know if there's one I can't pick one moment I mean there there are just many many great moments which is really cool Andy, you have you one. got you one, have Andy? to have one well work with you on a TV show I never thought I'd be doing a house band for a that show, was fun, wasn't show it? like that, that you know, fun. that kind yeah. of stuff. And so we constantly get things. I mean, our show the other night, Saturday night, you know, yeah. amazing three generations, wagons full of food, beautiful night, 7,000 people out in front of night. you, out open air, beautiful oh. thing with the uh, yeah. Indiana. A little bit of lightning orchestra. way out there in distance and just, and the people are having the best time ever. And this music that people who I think haven't seen you live might think of as old music, like you're like a tribute band to Louis Armstrong or old swing music, it couldn't be further from the truth. You're somehow able to grab that heritage of that kind of music and you infuse it with totally new sounding 
uh, vibe. It's, it's really difficult to explain because you're not a throwback band. You're very contemporary, but you have this big ass yeah. arrangements. I just try and, and people, you know, we make records because you have to make records. So, you know, because that's the way the business works. But mm-hmm. I think really just anybody who's going to understand what we do, uh, just go see it live. I mean, if you've got 90 minutes to spare in your life and you like music, just go see it. And if you don't like it, fair enough. You right. know? But I, I, most people come back. Yes. Most people come back and right. bring friends. And that's the only way we, you know, like, well, we fired our publicist years ago. I'm just like, I don't want to do that anymore. I just want to be word of mouth. I think that will be the way to save this this thing that we do, you know, and keep integrity. So I won't chase a song or a sound. I'll just chase whatever inspiration that I have that I can con these guys into getting committed <laughs> into, you know, and then, then we work on it and we get it and then it becomes this thing. And we're like, ah, it, it sounds like us, you know, mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it. Sounds like us. So you've been traveling for 25 years. This is a travel show. Let's talk about some travel stories, places that you look forward to, to go back to eat and to party and to have a good time. Uh, we were in New Orleans one weekend together. Have you guys ever played Jazz Fest? Yes. Tell me about that. That's, I think, the greatest party in America. I think you're right. I think that's probably one of the best festivals on earth. And uh, it was for me, it was one of those experiences where um, it's, I'd always wanted to do Jazz Fest. And when we got to do it, it was one of those moments because we played on, I think it was the Acura stage. At the Which time. is the main, main stage. The main stage, yeah. And it was it, David Lindley had played right before us and uh, Lyle Lovett's big band was playing right after us. And I'm thinking, this is... The pressure is on. This is unbelievable. This is where I want to be. I like this. This is what I want to do. I want to be playing with those kinds of artists. And we played. And when we did Mini the Moocher, I'll never forget it. It was the white hanky came out. And it was thousands of white hankies. And it was, I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, this is this is it, man. This is this, That was one of the top fives for me. That show was one of the top fives for me. So Jazz Fest was one of those those great moments. And the promoters and the people involved in that um, thought that our performance was so amazing that they have not asked us back. <laughs> <laughs> Which is total bullshit. Dumbfounding. I have no idea. Our manager must have pissed them off. Uh, you know what? I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> Quint and George and Mandy, you gotta, you've, you gotta bring them back. They're fantastic. To quote Jerry Willard, what happened? <laughs> uh, got a good New Orleans story? Ooh. Yes. Lots of them. I know you definitely want to eat the crawfish bread at Jazz though. That is like, I've, that is my favorite. Mm-hmm. My favorite is there a better, let's start there. Is there a better food city in America than New Orleans? Not, well, it's hard, it's hard to say. It's it's one it's definitely I, I look forward to going there. No to more eat. nor you more unique, yeah. right? No or, no more more unique. Correct. No. But you get food great wise. Italian food there, great yeah. seafood. I could say the same about Chicago, I could say the same thing about San Francisco. Yeah. You know? I mean I, I think it's definitely it's it's, it's on the top list. Whenever I see we're playing in New Orleans, I start thinking what you know, where am I gonna eat? I start planning out my whole yeah. agenda yeah. and yeah. then we start talking, like the the band will start talking, where are we gonna go, what are we gonna do? And it's like it's exciting just when we see it, if it's four months out, you're ready. <laughs> yeah, and we out. do we'll eat together too and, <laughs> and we'll pilgrimage to the places. And everybody has Who's the biggest oh. foodie in the band? That's we're we're everyone's always we're pretty, first time for me, um, um the Koshan Butchery. Oh, isn't that a great place? Yeah, yeah that place is great. I mean, that was the first time. That's over in the warehouse district yeah, right yeah. by... Um, Stayed right down the street, not far Republic, from. right? Yeah. Now, I don't know if we agree on it, but we all will go do it. But, I mean, I think everyone has a different mafalada. But uh, Pierre Maspero's mafalada for me is... That's it. That's mine. Really? That's my mafalada, yeah. And I've had them all, and I think they're all You great. like them hot or cold? Uh, I like them hot. Me too. Yeah. Hot or cold? Um, I actually can't get off the po' boys. I just keep eating po' boys. Like, what's your record for a day? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know, I like eight in the course of like one a day. day and a half or something. What breakfast, lunch, and dinner? You I'm weigh a, eighty pounds. I'm addicted to shrimp po' boys. So they they always get the muffalas and I get. He even imports shrimp and bread from from New Orleans at home when he comes to LA when when he's here and he's he's having withdrawals with that uh, ramalad sauce on top there. Uh, so good. <sighs> I, I I make the uh, I have I'm I have the. Emerald Classic Shrimp Po' Boy recipe, and I, I make the I make it as close really? to it as I can. Thanks for the invite. Uh, you're come on <laughs> over, man. You're, everybody, I do it about once a month, so it's it's oh, it's amazing. Man. And then Scott and I have different versions of uh, we got a cookbook from uh, 
And they have a pretty great cookbook. And so we've been doing that for years. I know it's. Do you guys cook on the road or only when you're at home? Just yeah. like, you know, hotel room, uh, iron grilled cheese sandwiches. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, you know, you can go to those extended stay where there's a kitchen in <laughs> so, there. But so, yes, on the, yeah, tour, so. on the tour bus, if we'll bring a panini machine and then we'll hit like a place like, of all places in, in, in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, there's a place called Zingerman's. Oh, and Zingerman's. It's, it's, a, it's a gnomous yeah. place. I'm going to shift around on good places to go. Okay. This place is off the hook. They have a creamery. They have a coffee place. They have a sweet place. Deli. They have a deli, and they have a roadside. And restaurant. Ari, the owner of that thing, is is happening. He re, he's written books, and the whole nine yards. He wrote a book about bacon. Whole book. He's awesome. What bacon we, is its own food group. That's what another place when we see when we see the Ann Arbor's on the gig list. We're going to try and get. Then it. we all start talking Zingerman Zingermans, and then we're all like planning. We get it. really <laughs> we get really great cheese, like super amazing cheese. And then at night we'll be on the tour bus, and Andy will be like making everybody gourmet grilled cheese <laughs> and the panini maker, the tomatoes, man. And, and it's, it's an avocado. It's awesome, man. But wow. that yeah, it's, it's Zingerman's is a place. You can to go there, Zingerman's. They do it's called a tour to food. And if you hit all their establishments in one day, you get a shirt. Yeah, you get a T-shirt. That you've done. We've done that tour it's several times. And yeah, honestly, <laughs> but you get to try stuff at the deli. You go, oh, what, what? Oh, we got this cheese from some micro dairy in Ireland, and there's the same cows have been eating from the same patch for hundred years. You want to try some? Yeah. And can you taste the difference? From the cows? It's not like Napoleon Dynamite. I can't tell that he had, you know, eight bleach. You know, well, this one had bleach. <laughs> I can't. And the, but, the Roadhouse restaurant is amazing, too. Yeah. And the, the guy, Ari, that owns the whole entire conglomerate or whatever, he's super cool. And he, he, buses, he walks around, he'll just he buzz his table. And then he, he kind of casually knows us because we've been going there so long. And he and he does this for mostly everybody, but he walks over and he like, he'll bring us some food. Like, check this out, man. Check this out. And then we eat it. Yeah. It's just yeah. like amazing. He's trying to butterscotch pudding? Oh, you have to. Don't you think there's something about people that own their own places, restaurateurs? There's two types. There's like the corporate guy who is in the back counting up money. And then there's the, the other type of person who's out front hugging people, bringing food to the table. And right. it's like they're hosting a party every day. And it's just yep. it's just how they are. It's I like, those are the places of, I like to go Yeah, places. that's the places. If you're going to ask us, probably, I would say probably nine out of, of the ten places we would say probably are more hosted by that person. That's like a gregarious hugger. Yeah. Totally. Want to eat like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy? Be sure to catch the following restaurants. When in Ann Arbor, Michigan, visit Zingerman's and let them know Big Bad Voodoo Daddy sent you. Here at A Fork on the Road, we caught up with Ari from Zingerman's after all the praise from the boys. And here's what he had to say. I'm honored. If you were going to name a dish after Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, what would it be? I think we'd have to probably do maybe a burger because we're pretty famous for those. Topped with uh, pulled pork and some bacon and maybe some grilled onions, caramelized grilled onions. With cheddar cheese? Yeah, we got a seven-year-old cheddar from Tony and Julie Hook in Mineral Point, Wisconsin. That might be good. Big Bad Voodoo Burger. I think that's it. That's the name. <laughs> Big Bad Voodoo Daddy Burger. Especially during the summer, I love being outside. And I love doing outdoor things like going to the beach and sitting and vegetating. But, you know. <laughs> I know your vegetating style. Your vegetating style is sitting by the pool watching your sports. Well. The Cubs. That's what you did in Cancun. You watched the Cubs. Baby, it was a playoff game. We were in Cancun. It was a playoff game and they were on their way to winning their first oh. World Series in 108 years. Oh. I could be on the moon and I would have watched that game. <laughs> the problem doing it in Cancun was the video was all crappy and it would stutter and stop and it was awful. If only I had had Dish TV at the time, I would have been so much happier because now they have a really cool thing called the Dish Tailgater Pro. And basically what it is, it's a portable satellite antenna that can deliver my favorite entertainment no matter where the hell I am. You know what this means? What? I can be watching Dish uh. Satellite too. Uh. The Handmaid's Tale, blah, 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 and blah. And Scandal. Blah. You can also watch live uh. news, live sports, anywhere you are in crystal clear HDV, even if you're off on the grid. 
This is you're basically pulling the satellite down and sticking it in your pocket. Sticking it. Sticking. And you only pay for the months you use. Dish offers pay-as-you-go programming from thirty-four ninety-nine a month. There's no contracts. There's no credit checks. You just activate your subscription, then you turn it off when you're done, and you only pay for what you use. And you don't need Wi-Fi. You don't need an internet connection. You don't need anything. So you can say goodbye to the stuttering and the constant buffering and searching for bad Wi-Fi signals that don't even exist, and all your connect. Activity issues—they go away. I can watch Handmaid's Tale at the airport. It's also good for sports. It's rugged, weatherproof, and weighs just eight pounds, which means you can pretty much take it anywhere. You can mount it on top of your car, your RV, and just forget about it. And wait till you see this Tailgater Pro in person. It's got a cool smoke dome cover, and you can actually see the satellite dish moving around, searching for the dish satellite signal. <laughs> It's crazy affordable. TV outdoors doesn't have to be expensive, and the Dish Tailgater Pro is one of the more affordable satellite antennas in the market. Saved us over a thousand dollars versus comparable systems. And here's the best part: what you don't need Dish at home to get Dish outdoors. That's right. You said no contracts. Right. Ooh, well, I think I'm just gonna go and do it right now. Call one eight three three TV four RV or visit dishoutdoors.com and use promo code Pro five zero at checkout to get fifty dollars off your Tailgater Pro and Dish receiver bundle. Some restrictions may apply. Yeah, but screw the restrictions. It's playoff sports and all the dumb shows Handmaid's she watches. Handmaid's Scandal, Vida. I mean, I could go on and on. Anywhere you are, outside, all the time, with no need for Wi-Fi or anything else. Oh, I'm in. This dish. Or out. Right. It's the Dish Tailgater Pro portable satellite antenna. You don't even know you need it. But you do. Uh, Grand Rapids, I could give you a breakfast lunch okay. joint called Marie Catrebs. Yeah. And she passed away, unfortunately. It's still going. Her family runs it. But she didn't even know us. We walked in there. And she's talking to us. She finds out we're from out of town. It's hugs and kisses. It's it's small breads. It's it's that thing. You know what I mean? It's it's really... And then you get the food and it's so delicious. Everything is, is as fresh can be. It's organic or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's really... It's happening, man. Well, and they say... When you cook with love, you can taste it, which sounds like kind of a Pollyanna piece of bullshit. But I think it's totally true. And what's a more intense expression of who you are or where you happen to be than food, right? Yeah, I think so. Like pizza is different in Chicago than it is in San Francisco for a reason. Absolutely. And and you can feel it and taste it. I do it at my home, too. My family, too. I feed my family with love every single night I cook. And I cook all the time. It's kind of the same thing with music, too. I mean, when you play with love, people can feel that, too, you know, because and I think that ties us in with food a lot when we 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 tend to go to those kind of places, because I think it's a similar thing as Mm -hmm. to what we're trying to, you know, emote out of what we do together. So, you know, it's definitely a very similar thing. And you can really see it. I I don't know if it's because I've known you guys for so long. It it just seems like you're having such fun hanging out with your friends and playing music. And I really think that comes across to the audience. I know it comes across to me. I'm curious if it comes across to people who, you know, maybe they're seeing you for the first time. But there's that infectious nature of what you're doing has got to be part of the recipe of your success, I think. I know it, eh? Glenn knows two words in Italian. <laughs> uh, let's talk about more. Let's talk about Chicago. Yeah. You got, you have 24 hours in Chicago where, where you're going to have breakfast, where you're going to have lunch, where you're going to have dinner. I'll, I'll do dinner. You guys can do the rest, but I'll say this right now. And I know you're a Chicago boy, mm-hmm. but I think Chicago, my favorite restaurant on planet earth right now is in Chicago and I will wait. Go ahead guys. You know anything? I'm, I'm probably, this is what you're going to say. Go for it. I, I, we went to the Frontera Grill. It's a Rick Bayless restaurant there that I absolutely love. He just, I don't know if you're familiar with I Rick haven't been Bayless. there, no. Really? Well, I'm Frontera familiar Grill. with Rick Bayless, but I yeah. haven't been oh, there. I kind of go to my old for lunch. Places, for though. lunch, that's my, that's my lunch joint. Where is yeah. it? Frontera. Uh, there's three of them. And what's the food? Uh, Mexican. Yeah, he, he does. He, Oaxacan. He lived in Mexico for a long time and just studied all their cooking. And I mean, it's, it's, yeah, Southern, I guess it's considered Southern Mexican food, like down home. I have his cookbooks and I swear to God, he is a magic man. His sauces are so good. Just unbelievable. 
Okay. And it's not your typical Chicago fare when you think Chicago, I don't think. So I don't know. You know well, good food's good food. It's, right? it's fantastic. What do you like there? No, no, that's... Oh, sorry. I like, uh, as far as pizza goes, I think Paisano's is my favorite pizza there. Um, I think it's harder to find bad food in Chicago than it is to find... It's like New Orleans. <laughs> I don't if you can find a shitty sandwich in, Chicago, in New Orleans, yeah. I'll give yeah, you a million know, dollars. I place I, I went to. I just, you know, go in and find these places and like <laughs> some of them. But yeah, Chicago's always a winner. Uh, I like... Uh, Dinner. Al's beef. That's my favorite beef joint. Um, so you still like all the old school ones? I do, because, you know, if I go there, I'm there for two or three days. Right. I try and hit the places yeah, you know, that I miss the most. So if you haven't gone here yet, this is my favorite restaurant of, of the moment. It's called Girl on the Goat. Oh, yeah. That place is uh-huh. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That food is so tasty. It's crazy. Yeah. One of the, our pizza places is in the Northeast in New Haven, Connecticut, Pepe's Pizza. And I, I think it's the best pizza I've ever had. Really? Far not. What makes yeah. it so good? Um, they cook it in a in an old uh, brick oven from the early, like the, it started in 1920. It's, and it's cooked with coal. I mean, the oven not is... Not wood, but coal. coal. It's a coal. They had an ordinance that they can continue to do yeah. it. Yeah. So it's still Frank, Frank Pepe came from Naples, Italy, and uh, he must have moved there in like the teens. I think Pepe's started in 23. I think it's 23. around 23. And I mean, the oven is, is what... 20 feet deep, 25. They have a huge long pole with a yeah. paddle, and it's that hot coal. It gets the cold taste on it. Um, my my family is from Connecticut originally, and my dad's been going there since he was a kid. And he he claims that it's the the olive oil they bring over and, and everything. But it, the combination is, I mean, it's amazing. And I told these guys about it because I, I lived in Connecticut till I was 10, and then I moved out here to L.A. Mm-hmm. And I told them, I'm like, there's this amazing place. The first time we went through... I brought them all. Like we were driving you through in our van, all the way in. going through, and I'm like, years. "You guys have to." <laughs> That's a lot I've been hyping it, so I was like, kind of. I hadn't been there in a couple of years, so I was kind of like, oh, man, if these guys don't like it, they're gonna like." Have a since I was ten. So we went all the way down there, and and of course, it was the day they were closed. It was like on a Tuesday or something, and they was closed, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And everything around there, the food around there was just so subpar. We were all just like, "Yeah, let's go, man!" But we did. Make it back. They're now open every day, but back this was the first time I took them. There was about what twenty years ago. Yeah, ninety-seven. Yeah, probably. and and it, so it was closed. So it was, it was a it was no, a bummer. But but then we went back the next time and they ate it and and they we, all can vouch that everybody we'll go out of our way. And the band much loves the pizza. Each ate a whole pizza. I mean, it's it's that good wow. where you yeah. can't stop. It's like the thin, you know, Neapolitan style uh-huh. pizza. So it, it does. It's not the same as Chicago, but in my opinion, it's like it's the pizza. I'm not going to say it's the best pizza in the whole world, but it's my favorite. They pizza have in the a, whole the, world. their summer pie, the summer tomato pie. It's ridiculous. It's just like mm, tomato but, and garlic. And, they're they're known for their white clam pizza there. Like that's a thing, but um, I don't I don't get culture. that. But I've never had um, their that sausage yet. pizza is like um, amazing. Just you know, the sausage sausage pie. Is, and what city is it in? It's in New Haven, Connecticut. It's in the old Italian neighborhood of New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. Right? Old, yeah. yeah it's face pizza. All right. Yeah. Let's talk barbecue. That's another American staple. Mm-hmm. Texas, you've got uh, the Carolina barbecue. Yeah. You've got Chicago barbecue. Where where do you guys land on that? I, I land in Texas. I'm yeah. a big barbecue. I, I barbecue almost, you know, I smoke something at least twice a week. Mm-hmm. Completely. Yeah. And um, my place is, to be honest with you, I like the Salt Lake, man. I like the Salt Lake. What's the Salt Lake? Really? It's in, it's in, uh, right outside of Austin. Oh. And it's, yeah, it's great. And, um, it is, it's a mustard base. So it's like a Carolina base, which it, is odd in Texas, that's right? That's what I'm telling you, but that, but it's, it's, it's so unique the way they do their, the way they do their pit. They have a huge pit, the way they do their meat, the way they, it, the whole thing about it is unbelievable. And North Carolina, I went to a place called, uh, Sims Barbecue. And it's not just the food, but the vibe of it. You go on this main road, and then it's outside you know, Lenore. You go up these roads, back roads, and there's just a sign. It's a pig with an arrow. <laughs> and you just follow the pig. <laughs> and you come out to this opening. It looks like it's almost like a, like a Disney set. Like you, It's a real shack. And you go in, and it's you know big family style. And in the back is a full stage with bleachers. And they're doing live music, clogging. So you're doing your Carolina barbecue, and there's just kids clogging, old people doing their thing. And it was just a five of that place. It's pretty, pretty awesome. 
I like some of the places where they just treat you like crap, kind of, and they're like, they just vibe you, but you go in there and the food is so killer. Yeah, Camellia just, Grill, remember that? <laughs> you remember Camellia Grill in New Orleans, the breakfast joint? In, yes. the, in the Garden District? Yes, where, yeah, like, you take the, the, take the St. Charles line out there. You just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know, man. You just, the, the, the cook, you have a cigarette in his mouth, and just like falling into the, into the. Gives it flavor. God, it was unbelievable. We, we also, want. We also just go like, to, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Uh, Mother's, man. Yeah. Mother's. It's, just, like, I so, too. it's so intimidating to go in there to order my foot. I don't want to get it wrong, man. She'll just bite your head off, man. Now you get your mind all made up. The breeze. You get there, like, I. Can't talk anymore, like it's it's written on your hand. Yeah. Uh, I'd like a thirty with debris. <laughs> yeah, um, when we're in Philly, that we like to go to Jim's um, cheesesteaks. It's like it's right on South Street in Philly. It's in the so it's not Pat's or Gino's. You go to Jim's. That's, that's where I go. Yeah, I go, I go I, all three. I think they're is all it with good. the squirty cheese or is it you can, actual you can cheese? Whiz, you can get Whiz on. You, you and it's, get and it's Whiz is out of the big like. Oh, but, but the place it's like the guys disgusting. when the guys <laughs> when you're ordering they're. So you pressure. say the wrong thing, they're going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like that. There's so it much anxiety so to get it right. Like, you want to get it right because you just know you're the, the intensity is building so as you're getting closer. Just ready. Okay, Andy, make, make sure you, <laughs> yeah, you just say whiz real quick and oh, peppers. Don't ask for anything separate. But then there's so a like, pepper. <laughs> oh so God. What, which one do you want? I don't you know. I just banana yeah. peppers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There, one time, and this dude was in front of us, and in a, oh, I remember he, this. He ordered... And I don't know what he ordered, but he, he kind of got quiet, and then his voice raised up, and the cooks are all looking at him, and he says, "Well, that's not the way they make it in New York." Ooh. I'm like going, "Oh!" Everyone just goes, "You're in Philly!" It's like the whole place like, just jumped on him. It was gnarly. I thought he was going to be the next cheesesteak man. They're going to chop him up. I love. I, I relish going in there and just being vibed and getting the the cheesesteak. America is one big country, but it, it's a bunch of little regions and towns, right? Sure. And can you feel that when you're traveling? Does, you, does it change your show? I, I think it's expressed in food and just kind of the personality of the people that you meet. Yeah, we change. I mean, I feel like we I feel like we play to the audience every night. Like I watch the audience every single night and I know the different places that we're going to play and I know how to talk to them and I know how not to talk to them. Like that's I feel like Does I he want... change every night depending on where you are? How he relates to the yeah, audience? I mean, he, he I think he's a master at like working that crowd like he's talking about. He just he knows the right thing to say and just make them all comfortable and have a good time. And he that's kind of what sits out. I was talking to Buddy guy and he was telling me he had just played the Hollywood Bowl the night before and I, I said do you still get I mean do you still care yeah you're, you're does he care 70, he cares a shit ton yeah he goes I could be playing to I was at the Hollywood Bowl last night and there was one guy in the front row who wasn't into it and he played the rest of the show to that guy. I do the same thing. Until he, until he started getting into it. I do the same thing. And I swear to God, I get more, I'm more worried now. I want to play better more now than I ever have in my entire You don't just say, hey, 99% of the people are digging it. I don't care about that guy. No, I want, that's the one I want. That's the one I want. I swear to God, that's the one I want. And it's it kind of fun to see me. that person too, to yeah. see them go and like, what's going to, when are they going to find it going to crack? Like, when are they going to look like they're enjoying Because you don't quite know. If they're digging it or just the way they are, their personality, uh -huh. but by the end of the show. You know who mine is? Mine is the teenager that got dragged there with the arms crossed right. and the bump. My parents are stupid music. Totally. Totally. That's the one I'll play to that person. And then I'll always look and I always know three or four songs in how, how much more work I have to do on that person. Because that person, sometimes it will start with the arms crossed, but then I'll see the foot tapping. And then once I see the foot tapping, I'm like, okay, now, now, now we're in. Now I just gotta, now I gotta make sure that that energy goes that way to, to get him. And then by the end of the show, I was at a Stevie Ray Vaughan concert about three months before he died. Here's the bill John Lee Hooker, Joe Cocker, Stevie Ray Vaughan, BB King. Wow. That's the show. Dang. Where'd you see that at? At the Irvine Meadows. Really? Yep. And I was there with some people from William Morris. So like 89. Yeah, that summer. It was like March of 89 and he died. No, August. it was 90. It was 90. He died in he, August of 90. Uh, yeah, right. So this was spring of 90. And uh, it was the Benson and Hedges Blues Tour. And uh, the show was going great. Stevie comes out and he's playing his show. And I was in the front. I was probably 12 rows back. And in the front row, there's this gorgeous blonde girl sitting with an agent. And she's bored. 
She's not, everyone else is boogieing and she's just sitting there, not standing, just sitting there watching the show with her agent boyfriend until he can get her a job on a sitcom and totally not digging it. So they're playing, they're two or three songs in. Stevie, he's out playing, uh, uh, it was, uh, it was tightrope. He's singing tightrope. And as he's singing, he he's scanning the crowd. I see him see her. And he does something. She doesn't react at all. So he looks over to his bass player, Tommy Shannon. He just gives him the nod. Then for the solo, he walks to the edge of the stage right in front of this girl and starts playing. And he does a double solo. And if you've never seen Stevie Ray Vaughan play live, go to YouTube. He, was, he wasn't in his body when he was playing. No, he, he was, was not. And, and that song... It, okay, there's a you, can, you can't sit still. There's an outtake of him doing that song on Austin City Limits, uh-huh. and there's a moment when he because he does that brown down down when he goes into the guitar. Yes. That, he clicks his heels like Dorothy yes. at some point, and I'm like, and he's flo- it's like he, he's floating, he, floating on the stage. And he floats, and, and I swear to God, what comes out of his guitar at that moment is really from somewhere else. That's what he did, and he's clicking his heels, and he's moving to the very lip of the stage. He's yeah. rocking back and forth on the lip, right in front of this woman. She's still not moving. And then he hits the big explosion part of the song. And then all of a sudden she just jumps up and she's screaming and moving her arms and legs. Woo! Yeah. And he turns to the bass player and he's like, yeah. <laughs> and then he just walks back to the back of the line. Yeah. yeah, he was magic, man. I, I, I went. So you guys are watching the crowd when you're out playing. I do. Yes. Yeah. Totally. No one travels like musicians no. or comedians. No. Nobody. I no. agree. And we, we traveled through Michigan during the, the recession. And, man, those people were scrapping to go to these shows. And all they wanted was 90 minutes of joy. That's all they wanted. And they had nothing. You know, they, nothing was going right for them in their life. They just wanted some joy. And talking to those people after the shows, man, I mean, that's like, it's just such. Which a, you guys always do. We do. And I, it's a deep experience, man. You, you, you learn so deeply. They, they, as much as you have given them, they give it right back to you and it's it's really you feed both fires both ways and music kind of brings it all together too it doesn't matter what your political uh, opinion is or your economic state it's, it seems like you go out there and play and everybody has a good time and you put that all aside for a while and I think it's cool to do that and, and talk to, to people because I know people are so polarized these days yeah and it's kind of it's nice to just be able to talk to anybody and it doesn't really matter I mean I don't care if you're this or that it's just yeah, we're out here. Here. we want to check out your area we want to know like what the good places to eat are what's the what's it like here what's it like living here you know what do you do here yeah. it's like it's just great to kind of see that and I think everybody is a lot more similar than they think they are if you think about our job our job is we are a it's so stupid and silly on one level, right? Doing comedy yeah. or music, the who that, that's not important, right? But I think really it's the essence of being human, art and music and making people laugh. It's super important. I think so too. And and our job is to be to make people feel good. We're we're there to make people feel good. Like that's what we do. We make people feel good, and there's we need that right now. People need that right now. I mean, you know, for what better or worse, it's it's just a really hard time right now in the history of America. And and I love and I take it serious. I like that which is why you're work. worried about that one guy in I the am, audience who's sure. not having a good time. That's absolutely it, and I will probably always be. I'm going to go back to when you when you go when you're talking about favorite gigs. Mm-hmm. I know my favorite gig for sure, and it was at the Hollywood Bowl, and it was <laughs> we did we did four nights with the L.A. Philharmonic, which I never thought would ever playing the Hollywood Bowl. A was a dream in America. That is the I think that's so, the yeah. pinnacle of show business yeah. to gig at the Hollywood. Three Bowl. months out of of that gig, I've already got butterflies. It's that, and I remember we were doing "Save My Soul," the song "Save My Soul," and that song just grows and grows and grows. And there's a there's a bass trombone part in that song where, in one part, he's just hitting the lowest note he can possibly hit, and the guy that's in the L.A. Philharmonic is a very famous trombonist who plays on lots of soundtrack. And if you want to hear the bottom end of a record in a big John Williams score, it's this guy, and he's playing the bottom note in my song. And I turn around the first time I. Hear and I just looked over over at him and, and he just had a big smirk on his face kind of like yeah he brought it yeah exactly and that moment I remember feeling the crowd and I remember feeling the orchestra and I remember feeling the band's energy on stage and as we were doing that song it was 
pivotal to me, man. I was like, God, I've waited my whole life for that. Like that was why I did this. Those months leading up to that gig, feeling horrible in the morning, like, oh my God, I'm going to play the Hollywood Bowl. Because if you clank it there, everybody knows. Oh my God. In front of those musicians, some of the greatest musicians on earth. Yeah. That was a really great show. I remember you. you, Dude, I heard you're playing that bowling alley down the street, that bowl. Can you get me some tickets, man? I got my own bowling shoes. Okay. I can go. All right. Come on down. It can't all be roses though. In 25 years, there must be some low points. El Paso. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. We're on our way out to uh, South by Southwest. We had already been signed by Capitol. So that it was, we were doing our showcase. But so I, this girl said, I want to book your tour. She did all the regional acts like the blasters and bands like that. So I go, okay, well, I'll give you the try. Cause I booked us that whole time all the way up to that point. And she booked the worst tour ever. And, and she booked us into this one place. And then literally there was like four people in there and two of them tried to pick a fight with the band. <laughs> <laughs> it was called wild hairs yeah. and their names. It said wild hairs, no jerks. That was the sign. That was on the yeah. sign. And the Two guys were Buddy and Mario. Yeah, <laughs> the two guys that wanted to beat us up. Like you're the blues geek. You're the computer nerd. And they just wanted to like fight us, man. Like, then they wanted to smoke weed in a, in a real toilet paper <laughs> for a joint. They had this like thing. And they kind of oh, like, you made friends with them afterward. No, you came no. backstage. There was no way not to because it was just like one of those deals. <laughs> no, you know, I'm gonna kick your ass no, and then get high. I remember this, in between sets, we like there was literally no one there. We went and sat at a table like just over on the side. We want you to blow our face off, man. Come on, man. And they're like saying all this like stuff. And then they they finally said too much stuff and they crossed the line. Dirk and Dirk was next more. to me. And Dirk, you know, Dirk is a big guy. He's but a he's nice man. such a passive. Dirk's what, like very nice guy. six three. He's a big man. He's, he's a big, big dude. And and he finally had enough. I'm nice until it's time that not to be nice. Right. And then he Dirk stood up and I mean That's all he Dirk towered over these guys were like <laughs> five foot nine, maybe Did five foot say, eight. I don't like the way you're talking to my friends. Yeah, he was saying they were saying some really nasty stuff to me, I remember, and Dirk just finally stood up right next to me and he just I don't like what you're saying to my friends right now, man. Back off. And and the, the guys were like, oh, and they just yeah. walked away, man. Dirk is no joke, man. He is I've never seen him strong. anything oh. but sunny. Yeah, he's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but you don't want to see him that way, man. Okay. Take it out. So that was pretty bad. <laughs> worst, worst gig for you, Glenn? Is that it? Well, th- th- this isn't an actual on stage probably thing, but one of this is a really bad road experience. Well, that's most of your life, yeah, right? You're so, on stage two hours a night. The I rest of the time, you're moving. This isn't what he's thinking of. But we were on the road. We're driving from I don't know where to. We're supposed to be going to Bethesda, Maryland, to play this club, and we're driving, and I'm driving. These guys are just kind of zoning out, so it's just been quiet for hour, you know, several hours. I'm driving on this road, and but we've been driving on this highway for you know, two and a half hours. And it was out in the middle of like West Virginia somewhere. And it was, it was the, um, there was no turn, really no roads to turn off. It was just this one thing. So we finally pull into where Charleston, Virginia is. Right. Mm -hmm. And the GPS doesn't do anything to tell me which way to go. So I'm like, what, you know, what do we do? What do we do? So, so we kind of like stop and like figured out where we were. And Alex goes, man, we're, we're about four hours out from Bethesda. We went, we went two and a half or three hours out of the way. Oh. We had to drive that. So we had to turn around in Charleston, drive two or three hours back that way, and then go to where we need to go. So he said, we're going to get there at 8, 10 p.m. And we, played and we were supposed to play at 8.30. So we're like, oh, shit. So, and we had been driving from 9 a.m. So we literally drove for 12 hours. So we only stopped to get gas in Charleston. We drove. The other guys had got there at like 4 in the afternoon. Had dinner. We, we roll in and we're like, they're all in their suits, like ready to go on stage. As we roll in, we park right by the backstage door. We walk in, the three of us walk in. We just, we put on our suits, we get our instruments out. And about five minutes later, we just go on stage and, and we kicked ass for 90 minutes. And then we walked off stage, we did our meet and greet. And we just went straight to the hotel. We barely like <laughs> talked about it. We went to the hotel and just passed out. Yeah, we were just in shock. We were just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the three of us were like, <laughs> yeah, their face when they got there was just priceless, man. They're so just road weary. And that that was a long day on the road. I mean, okay. So now for me, I have to I have to tell my worst gig story because it ties into to a story that was already told. Now, oh, perfect. So. In January of 1999, Big Bedford Daddy played the halftime Super Bowl show with Stevie Wonder and Gloria Estefan. Hmm, not familiar with January that. of 99. Right. That's huge. Huge. And at that point, 
swing had peaked. Madison Avenue, the advertisers, everybody was, everything was swing for three years. Mm -hmm. Everything. We were at the front of that, thankfully, but the Super Bowl was the end of it. That was the tipping point of, okay, we've had enough. Because it wasn't cool anymore now for the hipsters? It it, it was was too mainstream. So now it's not no longer cool. So we were no longer cool, right? So January, we are playing the Super Bowl. Put out a new record shortly a few months afterwards. We were driving in a car in our van. Dirk was driving the van and uh, we're playing Rosemont. Famous, famous jazz venue in New York City. We're we're rushing to get there and and the light turns green and we're making a right on one of the streets in this busy New York downtown. And and there was a, and we make this right turn and we all go, Dirk! And Dirk hits the brakes because he almost hit a a homeless person. And the homeless person looks at us, flips us off and, and tells us, you know, what the hell? And he was wearing a big Big bad dude daddy shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, holy cow. You made it. You oh, made it. We're huge with the homeless, man. Did you open the window and tell him who you were? You just drove along? No, we just couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. We all started laughing. We're like, did you see his shirt? <laughs> oh, guys, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, the new record's called Louis, Louis, Louis. It's a tribute to Louis Prima, Louis Jordan, and Louis Armstrong. It's fantastic. If you get a chance to see Big Bad Voodoo Daddy live, that's where you guys live, I think. The records are great, but you, you got to see them live because they're so fun and energetic and uh, spectacular. And more than anything else, they're all still friends. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. That's where the music comes from. Thank you so much, Andy, yeah, Glenn, and Scotty. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, I will Mark. see you down the road. I wish Yanni would have been here. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun to listen to. And of course, I'm right here. (laughs) Great guys. Lots of knowledge uh, in their heads, in addition to their musical abilities, about great places to eat and great places to visit in America. I only wish I could have been in the van when the homeless guy flipped them off. (laughs) Imagine. What would you have done? I don't know, but that's when you know you've made it. When a homeless guy flips you off wearing your T-shirt. Yeah, I think that's better than playing Carnegie Hall. Really? Yes. Let's go to downtown L.A. right now. Let's make it happen. (laughs) I'm sure we can find plenty of people of every type to flip me off. Big thanks to Andy and Kid and uh, Scotty for coming on the show. We will see them again later this summer gigging somewhere, I hope. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the show. We've got a bunch of new shows coming up this summer, so keep looking for us. You can find us at a fork on the road show.com and you can find and subscribe to us on iTunes uh, under a fork on the road show. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm Mark DiCarlo and Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram. Don't forget the big book special going on right now being sponsored by Cancun cards. You go to markdecarlo.com, You buy yourself a copy of my book, 400 cities. No, one what's it, stomach. No, what's it called? The book? It's called the fork on the road. Oh yeah, 400 cities, one stomach. And with every purchase, you get a four-night stay at a Cancun resort called the Ocean Spa Resort. Which is fabulous. It's a gorgeous place. I know it sounds too good to be true, but then this podcast is too good to be true. So, until next time, I'm Mark DiCarlo. And I'm Yenny Alvarez. And we will see you... At a fork on the road. Oh, Marie. Oh, Marie. Oh, Marie. Oh, Marie. In your arms, I'm longing to be... Longing to be... When in Chicago, make sure to catch Iron Chef's Stephanie Izzard's acclaimed restaurant, Girl and the Goat. Dine on globally influenced foods served family style or compare menus at their West Coast sister restaurant, Girl and the Goat LA, opening summer of 2019. Check them out at girlandthegoat.com. When in New Orleans, crawfish bread at Jazz Fest, Koshan Butcher for the best sandwiches around, Pierre Maspero's for hot muffaletta, and shrimp po' boys just about anywhere. And speaking of po' boys, if you're not anywhere near New Orleans this year, make your own. We'll show you how. Go to aforkontheroad.com and try the kids' favorite recipe, Emerald's Classic Shrimp Po' Boy. We'll have these and much more shortly for you to enjoy, as well as links to all the places we talked about with our guests, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Thanks again to Dish for sponsoring today's episode. You've probably heard by now that the Dish Tailgater Pro Portable Satellite Antenna is one of my favorite pieces of gear. To experience the joy of HD TV outdoors and get $50 off your very own Tailgater Pro bundle. It's the one with a clear dome? Call 1-833-TV-4RV or visit dishoutdoors.com and use promo code PRO50 at checkout. Some restrictions may apply. Oh,